Luke chapter 8 is going to be our jumping off text. So, so what I'm going to hopefully share with you is this really, I think, impactful truth about the benefit of serving to get to know Jesus better. And so in Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at some verses. In Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at some verses and then see what happens sandwiched in between the two. So Luke chapter 8 is the, is the beginning here. And it says this, And it came to pass afterward that he, that's Jesus, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings. That word glad tidings is the same. You, it may be good news in your, in your Bible. But showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and then look at this, this is going to be important later, and the 12 were with him, like they were just kind of with him. So in Luke chapter 8, you have some of these events. You've got, uh, you, you have the parable of the sower, where Jesus talks about seed was sown and some fell on rocky soil, some fell on, you know, in the thorns and, and what happened with the seed, and that's in that chapter. Also, there's this great story where Jesus calms the sea. So he and his disciples get in a boat, they head to the other, sea, other side of the sea, and, and we'll pick up on that in verse 23 here, and it says, but as they, fell, as they sailed, he fell asleep, he being Jesus. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, the disciples who were in the boat, slightly freaked out, Where is your faith? Now, here's a here's great observation. The storm didn't bother Jesus. But their unbelief did. Like he slept right through everything, but then when he realized the lack of faith that they had, that bothered him. And they, being afraid, you think, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commanded even the winds and water, and they obey him. What we have here is a crisis, and I love the Greek definition because it kind of broadens this. It, the, our word crisis with a C comes from the Greek word crisis with a K, and simply put, it, it means a decisive moment. So crisis originally didn't even mean a problem. Like when you say, I'm really in crisis, you give the idea that your life is falling apart and that everything is bad in your life. But the word crisis really actually means it's, a, it's an act of separation. It's a turning point. So a crisis is a moment in your life where because of your circumstances, you change direction or you make a decision or you separate yourself. So it's like you have the crisis and whatever you were before the crisis, because of the crisis, becomes something different after the crisis. So difficult times are not always bad times because of what they produce. You know, Newton's law of thermodynamics, his first law was this, right? Everything continues in a state of rest until it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. So in other words, you're going to stay the same way you are unless something moves you to another location. And sometimes we need crises in our lives to take us from where we are to where we need to be. We need a decisive moment to make that happen. Because here's the truth. Rarely are we willing to do great change or real change or substantive change in our own lives 
until a crisis comes. I mean, honestly, like until the, the creditors start calling, all right, we got to really stop our spending, right? We really, have to, we really got to get on a budget. You step on the scale. <laughs> we need to go on a diet. You have, and those are like silly crises, but it's like when things happen in our life, that's what becomes the impetus for change. Warren Wearsby said this, faith must be tested before it can be trusted. There's the crisis. It's one thing to learn a new spiritual truth, but quite something else to actually practice that truth in everyday experiences of life. So all that was bonus, has nothing to do with my sermon. As you carry on here in in chapter 8, you have verses 26 to 29, Jesus walking through. He heals um, the healing of the Gadarene. In verses 40 through 56, you have the healing of Jairus' daughter, and the woman with the issue of blood is healed. And then you kind of turn into another chapter here in chapter 9, and you see something really incredible that happens here. In the first two verses of chapter 9, Jesus gathers his disciples and he commissions them to go out and do the work of ministry. It says this, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So you, he sent them out to go do the same thing he was doing in verse 1 of chapter 8. Do you see that? So Jesus went throughout all the towns, healing the sick, all that kind of stuff. And now you have his disciples being sent out, empowered to go do the same thing. They come back after doing this, and they've had great success. They report to Jesus in verse 6. And then he takes them out, and he says, let's come away and rest a while. So they go to go rest a while, but then all the people come to see them. And they don't get the chance to rest. And the next thing you know, the Bible says there are 5,000 men plus women and children who want to hear him. And so he begins to minister to them. And then they get hungry. And that's when you have the big miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And you know who did all the distribution? It was these disciples who had already been out serving him and needed rest. And they're wearing themselves out. But they're serving. They're feeding the hungry, as it were. And so then the people are all fed, and they're going to disband for the evening, and Jesus and his disciples finally take a break. And in verse 18 and 19, it says this, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? What are they talking about? Who do they think that I am? And they answered, said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias. And others say the one, that one of the old prophets has risen again. And then he has this laser-focused question. He looks at his disciples and he says this in verse 20. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter immediately, he's the one disciple that, op- that, that, that entered every room, mouth first. Peter answering said, the Christ of God. Now you may have heard that from a different book of the Bible where Jesus asks and he, then Peter responds, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Same instance, same story, just written by a different author. And here you have him declaring that he was the Christ of God. He got it. And there's a big difference between the response in chapter 9 
to their response in chapter 8. Because in chapter 8, they're asking the question, who is this man? And in chapter 9, they're saying, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And there seems to be a change of confidence. There seems to be an increase of faith. There seems to be a fresh understanding of who Jesus is. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal about this. And I'm not building doctrine on this. But I think it's really interesting that sandwiched in between thou art the Christ and who is this man, there is this commissioning of service. So think about it. You have this haunting question in verse 8. Who is this man? Now, here's what's incredible when you think about this. At that point in Jesus' ministry, his disciples had already been with him a long time. They had already had many teaching moments with Jesus. They already had many experiences where they could have seen who Jesus was already. And yet they're asking him the question. Their faith was only right here like, wow, who is this guy anyway? That's where their faith was. And in chapter 9, they get it. They see him as the Christ. And Jesus moves from just preaching to them and dialoguing with them to involving them in his mission of why he's here. That's a key turning point in his relationship with the disciples. Because now they heal the sick. They preach the kingdom of God. They feed the hungry. Do you see that? In chapter 8, it was Jesus going throughout all the area doing this. And now you have the disciples that are doing it. And now, incredibly, they they see Jesus in a different light. I believe this. They know him better because they have served with him. They see him differently. They move from talking about it to doing it. They move from learning to doing. And by the way, doing is a great way to learn. Right? There's, I mean, almost any area of life, that's the truth. When you have to do something, it creates this incredible desire to learn for real. Like not just to write a, write an explanation or pass a test. Like you really have to learn how to do this now. And at some point, here's the big thought, if you really want to know Jesus, you need to move from observing to serving. That's a big statement. Because there's something about doing that hearing doesn't teach you. And you know what I'm talking about when you teach kids stuff. Like you can tell them all day long how to do something, but until they do it, they're not really paying that much attention. Right? I, I had seen my dad change a car tire. But I didn't know where the jack actually went or which, what to, what, which way to turn the crank, you know, or for that matter, how to unscrew the lug nuts. I mean, there's, there's, there's a total different world when you have to do it yourself. And you learn so much more when you're doing rather than just hearing Because here's the truth, it's hard to know Jesus for who he is until we begin to do what Jesus did. And and here's, here's my great concern, if I could really be honest with you. 
we've become really good at going to church. Some of you. That's just me being funny. I don't care. We become really good at being Christian. Like doing the things we're supposed to do. Like, you know, if we had a time clock out there, like, chink, I'm at church, right? Chink, I put something in the offering. Chink, I shook seven hands. You don't get credit for coffee because that's for you. But like we've become like that in our Christian life. And we have been satisfied with, with the plasticness of our mere presence. And yet there's not any real spiritual growth taking place. We're not being transformed by this incredible gospel, this incredible good news. Our relationship with God is like zero, but our attendance to church is like a seven out of ten. And we've kind of grown okay with that. And I'm and please continue to come. I'm not, I'm not saying to stop doing that stuff. I'm saying there has to be some moment in our life as, as, as followers of Jesus where our life begins to pattern after what Jesus did and begins to reflect what his heart is. And I'll say this right now. It doesn't have to be here. As a matter of fact, it's much more effective out there. Because let's change our lingo. We ain't going to church. You can't come. When you're not here, it ain't. When you're not here, this is not a church. It's a metal building. So when you, when you get up on Sunday morning, let's go to be with the church. I still fight that. Hey, I'll meet you down at the church building. Because I want to say I'll meet you down at the church. This isn't the church. This is, you're the church now because you're here. And so the greatest thing that you can do is, as far as service, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about handing out bulletins and changing diapers. I'm all about holding umbrellas out, out, out in the parking lot. And please, I, I want our church to be welcoming. And we need people helping in nursery. And we, we really need people that are willing to, to teach the teenagers or, or to be helpers in children's church classes. They're your kids. Right? Let's do this. Let's make this happen. Let's make it enjoyable and effective and a learning moment. But that's just for a few hours on a Sunday morning. What do you do all the rest of the week? You're the church wherever you are. And that's, that's where our ministry truly begins. That's where we, we do like Jesus and we begin to take the gospel, the good news, and we begin to share it in our world, starting with your family, starting with your spouse, starting with your kids, starting with your job, your sphere of influence. So in Luke chapter 8, you had Jesus healing the sick and going throughout casting demons and spreading the good news. In Luke chapter 9, you had him commissioning and empowering the disciples to do the same thing. We learn better by doing, and I believe this, we learn more about Jesus by doing what Jesus did. I really believe this, that book learning only takes you so far. Book learning only takes you so far. At some point, you have to start fighting spiritual atrophy. Did you ever watch that movie, Wally? All those humans up on the spaceship can't even give themselves a drink 
They're all riding around like this. The little robot chairs are taking them everywhere. They don't even, you know, they get back to earth. They can't even walk. That's a beautiful picture of the church right now. Because we ain't doing nothing. And I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying as, in, as a general rule, we're really good at showing up and hearing what we're supposed to hear. But we're not so good at doing what we're supposed to do so we can become who we're supposed to become. We're supposed to be imitators of Christ. And all we become are good listeners and agreeers, but not doers. That's about as mean as I'm going to get right there, just to let you know. So here's the thing. Why does this work so well? Why does it work to know Jesus more when you are serving with him? Why does it work? There's a lot of really good reasons here. I've narrowed it down to four. The first thing is that service imitates Jesus. So you're doing what Jesus did. And when you do what Jesus did, you become who Jesus became. I mean, it's like you become more like him when you do what he did. Now, I want to make sure that I'm very clear about something. I believe that you can serve God and it not really change anything on the inside. Because we can fake it really good and you never really make it. I think that we have oftentimes been guilty of being professionally Christian. Like we know what to say, we know what the language is, we know where to be, we know what to do. I'm encouraging you to grow in Jesus by stretching your faith and serving where he would serve. I love his heart. And there's a beautiful passage found in in Philemon, which is one of the sweetest books that Paul ever wrote. And I'm going to give you the rest of the verses here in a second, but I'm going to set the stage by reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll read together 5 through 8. It says this, this is Paul writing to the church of Philippi, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, like coming from inside of you, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, That's the church. Having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but each esteem other better than themselves. And that's where we pick up in verse 5. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right? Okay, so so are your antennas up? Like this this is what you're supposed to be. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In order to learn about Jesus We do what Jesus did. It's one thing to read about him. It's one thing to hear about him. It's another thing to imitate him. Because when you imitate him, you begin to learn what motivated him. You begin to learn who he loved and why he loved and what was important to him. Serving helps you imitate Jesus. Second thing I want to mention here, service increases our motivation to learn. Think about that. When you have to do it, you pay a lot more attention when they're teaching you how to do it. So I got my, my bachelor's degree in college, and uh, I graduated, and I was uh, an assistant pastor for five years, and I really felt the need to go get my master's degree. Well, let me tell you, when I went back to get my master's degree, 
I was a lot more aware of how much I needed what was being taught. Because I had just spent five years in ministry wondering why they didn't teach me anything in my first four years of college. They didn't teach me people skills. Oh, you mean people disagree with you? I'm just trying to do what Jesus wants me to do. I'm giving my life to ministry. What do you mean people are going to not appreciate everything I do in my life? They didn't teach me all that in Bible college. So you go back to college again, and now you begin to realize, wow, I could have really used this before. And there is something about service that motivates our desire to learn. There's nothing like on-the-job training. So here's, here's what I'm saying. So this is, this is where you are in Jesus. And this is maybe what Jesus wants you to do, but you're not too sure about how to get it done, right? So this distance right here, that's the faith step, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I'm going to take this step of faith, and I'm going to allow Jesus to teach me how to do what he wants me to do. So, but here's what's happening. See this? I just grew. I just, I just took a step in my faith journey. I'm becoming more of who Jesus wants me to be. I'm learning because I'm doing. I'm learning as I'm doing. There's a big difference between taking your driver's test to get your learner's permit where you're just clicking buttons on the computer to get behind the wheel. Ask my daughter. And as the parent, you know the terror that takes place when your kid's learning how to drive. Our first daughter, Whitney, felt like she had to prove to us how great of a driver she was. So she would push the limits of the speed, and she would brake too hard and take off too fast, and my wife would come home looking for a bag to throw up in. Literally scared my wife she came home crying the first time. She literally crying the first time she went driving with Whitney. I'm like, Whitney, you got to slow her down, baby. All right, our daughter Kimber, 16, just the, whatever the opposite of that is, further than that. Kimber, you have to go faster. Kimber, because they don't do 10 and 2 anymore. They do 8 and 4, right? So, Kimber. You're only doing 15 miles an hour. I'm not, I am not kidding you. We pull over our driveway on a Howellsville. Howellsville is a 55-mile-an-hour road. Kimber, you, you, how fast are you going? I'm in the passenger seat, and you know how you try and look in the rearview mirror so she doesn't see it? You try and look, see how many people are behind you? I literally ordered from Amazon these magnetic stickers to put on the trunk. Student driver, nervous parent. I ordered two sets. There's one in each one of our cars. And I thought Kimber was going to be like, Dad. She was like, thank you, Dad. Now people will be patient with me behind me. Because I don't care if, if half of Front Royal is following us down. She ain't going any faster. That's all she's doing. Like, she's, she feels good around 35, right? Baby, we got, I know you're trying to get your 40 hours in, right? But it doesn't all have to be on this trip. We got Let's get going. That's, that's Kimberly. So it's, it looks really easy, right? Dad's driving with one hand, hand back here around this. You know, I can do things I don't want to tell you about while I'm driving. But it's like, you know, there's all kinds of ways to drive safely in your own mind. And, and it looks so easy when everybody else does it. And then you get behind the wheel and she's white knuckled, man. I mean, just, you know, 
wide-eyed, very careful about everything, but she is so good about it. Like, she will not pull out of the driveway until all the mirrors are adjusted, her seatbelt's on. She's taking a couple of big breaths, turn the radio off. She literally shuts her phone off, puts it in a purse, sticks it behind the seat. I mean, she's like, she's like safety-conscious 101. But there's a big difference between learning about it and doing it, right? Service increases our motivation to learn when you've got to actually do it. Also this, service gives purpose to the gospel of Jesus. And this is what I get excited about. Because we come to Jesus, we become a Christian, and we are given this incredible good news. And we enjoy that. But but the gospel doesn't just inform, the gospel is supposed to transform. And here's what I'm trying to say. It's not just supposed to transform you. You're just not, you're, okay, I know that we're supposed to be a better person because of the gospel, but we're supposed to take the gospel and make the world a better place. The gospel is just not about inward transformation. It's about the kingdom of God transforming front royal. It's about the kingdom of God transforming your relationship with your wife and your kids and your workforce. It is about the good news changing the world that we live in. The kingdom of God is now. And service gives purpose to this gospel that we've been given. It's more about just making you feel better. It's more about taking you to heaven. It's more than that. It's about changing the world you live in. Like you take your sphere of influence, all the people you connect with. How is the gospel improving their lives and this community? We go to services, we get baptized, we read our Bibles, we share in the Lord's Supper, we might even contribute financially. And that's all good, that's great, I want you to keep doing that. But service takes the, takes the Bible, the gospel, out of the study class or church service and into the communities where we actually live. Service gives purpose to the gospel of Jesus. And finally, service builds relationships and creates solidarity, and I appreciate this. One of my favorite core values of Virginia Hills Church is this. We have seven of them. This is the seventh one. We are genuinely happy. That's one of our core values. We are genuinely happy, and here's what we say about that. We are imperfect people discovering life in Jesus. We laugh often because nothing is more fun than serving God with people you love. That's, that's, that is part of the DNA of our church. And it might seem silly to you, but I really believe it with all my heart. I want to enjoy ministry. I want to enjoy the gospel. I want to to be a tremendous representation of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Relationships are built when experiences are shared. So when you serve together with people, then relationships are developed. Solitarity is developed, and there's a unity that is created. And here's the thing, the gospel was intended to bring personal and social change. So, I don't want to embarrass him for nothing. But I just think it's such a beautiful, and it just made my heart so happy. So, so Brian Torp is, is uh, I know it, right? I know. Just, uh, he, he had no idea. He, he takes care of all the mowing here at the church. So he's got about a dozen, 15 people that, that do all the mowing here, and he's got the schedule going on. He approached me, he goes, let's just do more with this. Can we mow lawns in town? 
Can we just can we just go and and uh, I got a push mower. I got you know whatever we can do. And uh, and so uh, we reached out to somebody in the town. You know how when someone's lot gets too big, they they contract with someone to go out. The, the town will go out and charge them a ridiculous amount of money to go mow it. So we were reaching out to the guy who who does that and says say don't do that. Let us know about it. We'll go mow it and save them money. That's that's it's a simple thing, but that. What excited me so much about that was that is good news. I know it's not leading someone to Jesus, but that's us making a difference in our community. So what's your thing? What's your thing? Like how is the gospel making a difference, not in your life, but in the lives of people around you? Serving with Jesus takes you someplace that just hearing about him never will. The gospel is not only intended to make you a better person or a holier Christian. The gospel was intended to make a difference in your community. It's not just about personal change. It's about social change. Let me just ask you this. All right, here's the big question. We're done. Now, that's, to be fair, that's the first time I've said we were done, okay? I've, I've hinted that we're getting close, but we're actually done now. Why would Jesus promise you power for you to do nothing? There's not a slide, but it's in your notes. Think about it. Why would he promise you power to do nothing? So there's the step. Man, I'd like to teach that class. I don't mind volunteering to help in nursery. I can hand out bulletins. I can mow lawns. I can rebuild a deck. I can transport someone to the hospital. I can feed the hungry. God didn't promise you power to sit your butt in a pew. God promised you power to do something. I don't know what that is for you. But I'd wrestle with it if I were you. I'd be like, what's my thing? You've been gifted. You've been gifted. Your life experiences have brought you to the place where you are in life, and you have the ability to do something for the kingdom of God. And what excites me is that I don't have to think of that for you. Because God can speak to you just like he speaks to me. And I just want to know what your thing is. Move from observing to serving in order to get to know Jesus better. And watch him work in your world. And enjoy the power that he gives to make that happen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to be who you want us to be and do what you want us to do and we want to become more like you and help us to look for areas of service and look for ways to to spread the good news and not just using our mouth and help this this church this group of people to be known by what we do to improve the lives of the people in this community. 
and in the communities that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen.